Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Memories are what our reason is based on. If we deny them, we deny reason itself. Although, what's wrong with that, really? It's not like we're contractually tied down to rationality. The great and has spoken. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Who are you? Who are you? A very bad man. I'm a very good man. Good man. They think he's lost and with no more brains than you have. Just a very bad wizard. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Paul, how do you spell Berenstein Bears? Oh, no. Uh, I'm Paul Bloom from Yale University. It's the question I've always been waiting for. Um, I strongly remember them as uh, with an A. Yes. And, and yeah. So I'm the only person from the E universe. Yeah, and that shows something that it shows strong AI is right or something, or that we're simulations. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it proves the existence of alternate universes. Yeah. Because I come from the universe where it was always an E, and there's a bunch of us that somehow just slipped into your universe and, you know, we're here. We're not going anywhere as far as I can tell. But that is the my, most parsimonious explanation. For it. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's the one that my favorite philosopher, Saul Kripke, would endorse. <laughs> In my universe, it was Kripke, yeah. Okay. Oh, I get it. You were making <laughs> really saw that, eh? Yeah, you got it there. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> thank so, you. so thank you guys for having me on again. Um, we were talking. This is your, you're coming up to your fourth year of Very Bad Wizards. We're yeah. we're like toddlers of podcasting. Yes, we're like we've we finally learned to stop shitting our pants. Uh, yeah, yeah. The foul <laughs> mouth philosophical toddlers of uh, our time. <laughs> um, and you are you are as always uh, the the most welcome guest. If Yoel isn't listening, the tied for the most welcome guest. If Yoel is listening, um, well, Yoel is already going to be pissed because what we're doing today is normally something we do with Yoel. We are breaking down a movie, and in this case, we had Paul on because the movie is Memento, and I know Paul that you are a huge Christopher Nolan fan. I am a huge Christopher Nolan fan. Uh, two of my favorite movies ever are uh, Memento and Prestige. And honestly, they're tied for first. I, I have problems with Christopher Nolan because of his uneven production of movies. And in fact, if he's listening now, which I think is fairly for likely. Almost sure. For sure. He definitely is. Yeah. I want to take the opportunity to tell him to stop doing those superhero movies. He's well, not, he's, he's not he's Zack stopped, Snyder. Right? I mean, you know, it's such a waste of a brilliant mind. He should go back and do more movies like Memento and Prestige. You know, Paul, yeah. that's like asking you not to write a popular press article on the perils of empathy. Um, 
<laughs> this is a, that's a that's a love a lovely transition. But you know, before we get into the to this, this is a genuine question. When does your empathy book come out? December sixth. December sixth for your birthday, which is December twenty first. We'll let's all give you an Amazon ranking that's decent. Well, I would yes. I would appreciate that. I may ask to be on again, even though we've done so much empathy back and forth, and uh, and in fact, I, I'll tell you that around sentence three of the acknowledgments, I thank you too. Oh, for, that's for, nice. for having hope... me on your podcast and, and getting the chance to try out my ideas wow. and get good feedback from you. That's very kind of you. Thank you. I well, we've that, also uh, been saying some stuff first. about you behind your back on the podcast about the empathy. You know, thing, so. you know, people email me. So, <laughs> you know, they they mentioned you because I, I I don't listen to you unless I'm on. To be honest, right. um, and but they mentioned you and it wasn't very nice. And so I just this is but this is why the this is why the context of love is important. You know, we always we always we only can say mean things about you. Like we would never say something mean about Sam Harris. Never, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to say this one thing as I was rewatching Memento last night. Nolan is to me so, a, sort of like a, the Borges of, of filmmaking. Uh, he, he plays with ideas that recur. There's a lot of recurring ideas and yeah. they are metaphysically interesting, not always successful, but thematically really matched. So, you know, there's yeah. recursion and, and, and infinity and identity, things that Borges really liked. And like creating your own subjective reality to cope right. with something. I mean, I think Inception and Memento are very thematically connected. There's a yeah. great discussion to be had about the sort of overlapping themes of Memento, Prestige, and Inception, the three great movies, yeah. which all involve sort of the conflict between multiple representations, temporal, different different scenes in, in, in time, different rates in which time increases, different metaphysical states of identity. And yeah. this is why he could do a great Batman movie, but he was never he never did. Because you don't think that's... The Dark Knight is a is a great movie? I um, think it's a great movie. It's, it's a, a, like a visually amazing experience to watch. Yeah, and... there's a pro- my main problem with those movies is that they all devolve into Hollywood's you know explosion chase. Yep, like yeah. they, and they don't have. And, and um, Nolan has Nolan has various weaknesses. He can't. He's actually not that good for big action scenes. I think he's yeah. and he's um he's horrible for writing for women. That the, the huh. female characters are are, are although you know, I will comments. say that in this movie, it's one of his most compelling female characters. The, the femme fatale, Natalie. Yeah. Yeah. Fatale, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's true though. Nolan, his he suffers from budget. I also I think that Inception is a much worse movie than the other two because yes, I agree. it had too much money. Yes, yeah. I will say also that while I really like Nolan. I don't love him like I love Tarantino or Paul Thomas Anderson or like Chan Wook Park or and part of the reason is I don't tend to give a shit about his characters. Mm-hmm. And uh like the people are not like compelling they the, the movies are puzzle it raises a bunch of interesting psychological philosophical questions but I never totally care about the the people or I'm not moved by them. I would say that m- I think for this reason, Memento is my favorite. I think a lot of these characters are actually really gripping. I mean, compared to Inception, where you literally don't give a shit. Right. And, they're, they're like, you uh, might as well just fit in anybody into this. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, the prestige, it's, they're really interesting characters, but they're not likable in any right. way. You don't feel a lot of connection the, to them. 
In the Prestige, the biggest emotion I have that's person directed is at um, the wife of um, what? What's her right? Name? The, the one who really Chris, has Christian to, Bale. Yeah, uh, yeah. Who really has to notice that sometimes he loves her and sometimes he doesn't. And and that was such a beautiful. We uh, can't even say it. As said, that know. was such a beautiful uh, resolution. So now, good. He he. No, Nolan is a cold filmmaker. Yeah. He's yeah. Very intellectual, very puzzle oriented, very idea oriented. In the end, he doesn't really care about the people. And, and, and I, and I love that. That's why I love him. And I think exactly. that says, that actually speaks to the, a lot of <laughs> the differences makes, between. It makes sense that Paul would, but I don't know. If well, I mean, this, this is very consistent with your idea of philosophy being about relationships between people and me being more comfortable with if P than Q. Um, but let's not get into psychoanalysis. So, I mean, I think that uh, Memento, though, he is a character that you feel a lot of compassion for mm-hmm. in addition to, you know, just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And the same is true for the Carrie Ann Moss character, Natalie. Oh, you know, it's a little that. harder to get a handle on her and what she's doing and what she's up to, but... Okay, so well, uh, then let's talk before let's, we get let's, too let's much break into, into it. Yeah. Since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades. If we talk for too long, I'll forget how we started. And next time I see you, I'm not going to remember this conversation. What's the last thing that you do remember? My wife. That's sweet. Dying. Lenny! I guess I've already told you about my condition. Oh, well, only every time I see you. You don't remember where you've been or what you've just done. No, I can't make new memories. It's like waking. It's like you just woke up. When you find this guy, what are you going to do? I'm going to kill him. Maybe I can help you find him. Are you sure you want this? My wife deserves vengeance. Do not trust her. She's going to use you to protect herself. I think someone's been trying to get me to kill the wrong guy. You can question everything. You can never know anything for sure. Teddy, don't believe his lies. You wander around playing detective. Well, maybe you should start investigating yourself. Who did this to you? You did. I want my life! Why are you asking me? I can't remember what I've done. So should we talk about the structure yeah. of yeah. the movie first? It really is like top, like top-level craftsmanship, the way this movie is put together. So you start out with a scene that it's actually goes backwards. Like it's actually played so that, you know, gravity is reversed. It's like filmed backwards, and it's him shooting the Teddy character. Right. This scene is in color. The rest of the movie now alternates between color scenes that go backwards in time, although they go forward as you're watching them. So each scene takes place before the last, just before the last one. Right. And there's a tiny bit of overlap. Yeah. And then those scenes are alternated with a forward story which is Leonard in his hotel room, this main character, talking on the phone with somebody and describing this character called Sammy Jenkins, which we'll talk about. And then at the end, we realize that the color scenes are going back to where the black and white scenes are going forward, and then they meet. 
And it's very cool the way they do it. Like, they sort of symbolize it by him looking at a Polaroid picture in black and white. And as it, as it develops, that scene turns to color. It's one of the, my favorite opening scenes. Imagine the challenge of having to tell the audience that something weird is going to be happening with the way that this movie is organized. Mm-hmm. And the way that you're cued into this is he's shaking a Polaroid picture, which we all know doesn't do anything, but that's what people do to have it <clears throat> reveal itself. Is that true and that it's it getting, doesn't? It, no, it doesn't. Right. And it is progressively getting darker and more obscure. So you know already that from the beginning as he's shaking it and your expectation is that it's going to get lighter and lighter and clearer and clearer it's going it's going the other way it's just you know i have watched the movie probably five times before yesterday and when i was watching it last night i was like fucking hey so good it really is so i i was looking at this wonderful collection of essays called edited by this guy andrew cania on memento which i bought send us the link a while ago um and, you know, really, and it has wonderfully smart discussions. And there's debates over the extent to which this is a philosophical movie. And what often gets pointed out, which is right, is it's not merely a movie where characters talk about philosophy or raise some issue or even sort of express in the movie a philosophical dilemma like Matrix might do in a kind of a crude right. way. But rather, right. the way the movie is filmed causes a subjective experience of uncertainty within you because you're living life backwards that in some way mimics the, the point you want to make, a sort of a, a thought experiment that you're in. Yeah. And pulling yes. that off is just extraordinary. It's remarkable. It's completely, completely pointless to do what they did for the, some of the DVD editions where you edit it together for forward moving mm-hmm. um, yeah. because it is not just the opposite of a forward moving movie. No, like if it's you, essential. <laughs> that yeah, it's if you backwards. can't get that that uncertainty, and we haven't mentioned, by the way, the central key to the yeah. the Leonard character, which is he has a particular kind of amnesia, anterograde amnesia, which does not allow him to form long term memories. And this is the one pet peeve of this movie is that <laughs> they always say it wrong. He says he yeah. has a, a failure of short term memory. His short term memory is in fact intact. They right. just do not move into the long-term memory storage. So Paul it's essentially yeah. Dory's condition. But <laughs> yes. that they... God, they, that took away so much from... from <laughs> yes. He, he, he got there first. It's, uh, it's a hippocampus problem, really. Yes. <laughs> if you don't know neuroscience, the movie is incomprehensible. It's complete bullshit. Yeah. Um, like most things, you need to know neuroscience. That sheds a lot of additional light. <laughs> uh, the other thing we that is sort of the central part of the synopsis is you find out that he is on a mission, despite his condition, to kill the person who raped and murdered his wife. At least this is what we're told at the beginning and what seems to be reflected in the complicated backward and forward action of the movie is that he is trying to avenge his wife's death. That's the thing that gives him sort of meaning and purpose, makes him live in the way that he's living, dealing with his condition. Right. So the question is, how does somebody who has 10 to 15 minutes of memory actually solve a puzzle, right? This is a noir. How does a hard-boiled investigator who cannot remember more than 15-minute chunks, um, actually collect a set of facts that allow him to solve the case. 
one of just the best plot devices is one of the ways that he records those facts is tattooing himself all over in just the most awesome set of tattoos. I, he, he tattoos I, himself. He writes things down. He takes pictures and annotates them. And yep, so yeah. one of the themes that this connects into one of many is the idea of the extended self where his memory, his body becomes his memory the objects right. around him become his memory. Um, yeah. I don't know if we just want to jump into this, but I, I, I got to say it just to get on the table. To me, perhaps the most exciting thing about the story, and by and if ha- people haven't seen this this movie, they, they should just put down yeah. the podcast and yeah. see the movie because <laughs> we're going to assume you've seen it. To me, the thing is that ultimately you learn that Teddy, who he kills at the beginning of the movie, is actually he actually and he, as he comes to the conclusion that Teddy is the person who who raped and killed his wife. Actually, he planted the memory in himself. He sets up fake clues to guide him to track down Teddy out of vengeance for learning that Teddy has actually used him to kill person after person after person, basically uh, taking advantage of his of his thing. And the idea of that level of self-deception is extraordinary. And I think a wonderful way to think about the sort of more mild self-deceptions we do in our everyday lives. So I think, yes, and and there's even an additional possible level of self-deception that's going on there. I I think it's open question whether he's doing it as a way to avenge himself on Teddy or because he wants to keep believing that his wife was killed by this second attacker rather than by him giving his wife the extra insulin dose. He has throughout as you mentioned, the black and white sequences, we learn a lot more about the details of this condition through his telling of the story of this Sammy Jenkins. So he was supposedly <clears throat> in his previous life before his, his condition, he was an insurance investigator. So he's telling the story about Sammy Jenkins and we're watching black and white re- uh, flashbacks um, or at least got, you know, God's eye view of the story of this guy, Sammy Jenkins who um, had presumably had the same kind of amnesia, couldn't form new, new memories, and the insurance company wanted to know whether he was, he was faking it or not. And Guy Pierce character, Leonard, is called in to investigate this. Um, they do a bunch of tests on him and decide that he, in fact, doesn't have anything, quote-unquote, physically wrong with him. Um, right. right. So the, the, it's a, kind of a tragic story where the wife infers from that that he's faking it he's physically capable of forming new memories but the i guess the idea is well if he's physically capable of it and he's not doing it then he's faking it and and leonard keeps saying over and over again i never said he was faking it i just said he was physically capable of learning new memories but the wife can't get that through her head perhaps because of some implicit dualism you know the idea that if it's it's psychological that just must be the person rather than i mean just that whole distinction is very strange you know physically versus psychologically but anyway she assumes he is kind of faking it and she can snap him out of it and she uh, does all sorts of tests to try to get him to snap out of it and the final one is her essentially killing herself right very creative suicide Um, hypothesis testing by suicide you know, yeah. I, I, I teach uh, intro psych, and for the last five years, maybe longer, I show the entire black and white series of that uh, scene in a discussion of implicit memory. 
Huh. And, and, yeah. it, and it is so moving. And I'm holding back tears at the end of it because what she does, just as a yeah. reminder for people, is she says, Sammy, it's time for my shot. And he right. gives her. She's a diabetic. She is a diabetic. Yeah. Gives a shot to her. And then she moves the watch, the time, waits 10, 15 minutes, moves the clock back, says, Sammy, it's time for my shot. And of course, if he had any memory of it, he wouldn't give her the shot over and over again, but he does. And, and there is a performance that he gives where there's this kindness in his face. That actor, I yes. love that actor. Oh, Very that actor. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That guy has a name that I, that yeah. I would know. Uh, and I, I, one of the reasons why they believe he's faking is they give him an implicit memory test before. So he's with a doctor, and there's a series of objects in front of him. And he says, pick any object, Sammy. So Sammy picks an object, picks another, and he picks an object and gets a shock. And he yells, he says, fuck you. And he gets really angry. And then over and over again, the same thing happens. Right. And, it's like and, Bart, Bart with the stove. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and Leonard explains that this is a standard, and he correctly, that the way memory damage works is he should unconsciously learn. If it's right. really genuine, he should not, he should veer away from that object, but he doesn't. Right. Right. And that's, that's actually something that I don't know what, I don't know what we're supposed to make make of this because um, there's one, there's one thing that this movie does very well and it's, it, it does teach you about the different aspects of of memory, right? So, so we, we learn the difference between short term and long term memory. We learn the difference between learning motor skills and glass feels. Yeah. And presumably he has this implicit memory. So he, he is, uh, an intuitionist. <laughs> he <laughs> thinks. He thinks. Look, I must have learned this stuff. Um, so let me go with my gut when I meet somebody. You know, that's an interesting thing with the conditioning. You know, and I didn't know the psychological plausibility behind that test. So I thought maybe this was just a way for the insurance company to try to get out of paying him. But but I never got the sense that Sammy Jenkins was faking it. Yeah, no, that's why for I'm real. not sure what to make of it because. Yep. So maybe at least in the movies world, that's meant to be sort of a false test. Maybe it's true. It's true. None of the movie makes sense if Sammy Jenkins, which is supposed to be perhaps our main character, uh, is just faking it. Right. There's no motivation to actually kill his wife. Yes. Um, There's there's sincere shock at his wife collapsing unconsciously. So one of the, I mean, running themes is that memory is... A distortion, right? Memory, or at least a construction, right? Yeah. So I, I, this is a scene with Teddy at, at a diner that, well, look, memory itself isn't perfect. Memory can change the shape of a room. It can change the color of a car. And memories can be distorted. They're just an interpretation. They're not a record. And they're irrelevant if you have the facts. What I found up, upon the rewatching, this is not really <clears throat> a story about his his memory condition which is his failure to construct new long-term memories it really is about his own long-term memories that are intact from before it's like you and i we actually have all kinds of distortions in our memory things that that cause intrusion errors things that make us believe facts differently than how they happen that is as you see at the end of the movie that is the fundamental problem with him is that he can't presumably the memories that are intact about how when he was married and what happened to his wife, those things have been distorted in a way that doesn't have anything really to do with his current memory condition. 
right? And right. those are the things that we all fall prey to. And I think there are two additional ways that he is that his memory has been distorted. One involves him not or at least possibly not being able to cope with what happened and what he did. And so he's constructing a version that he can live with. The other is that he's just constructing something that will give him a purpose, given his condition. So there's a lot of that, this idea that the most important thing you can have in life, if you're Leonard, is just something that I'm doing something that will make me get out of bed and just not completely succumb to this really tough condition. And so he needs that. He needs that object that engages him actively and actually gives his life uh, an identity, like uh, purpose. Without that, he's just, he's gone. He sees this as his way of retaining his identity and retaining some sort of meaning and purpose that will get him through the day. So, so Tamler enjoys this because it's revenge yes. and connecting to honor. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely about revenge, but he think it's, it's a, it's revenge almost in a more deontological way than a, because he's pretty clear that it doesn't matter. Right. If he remembers it or not, he says his wife deserves vengeance sort of as an objective fact. Right. Um, whether or not, whether or not he remembers that doing it. Yeah. But he does have that space on his heart, you know, to, to alert himself whenever he does do it. Um, and this is presumably so Joey, Joey Pants, the Teddy character. Um, presumably. Awesome. Yeah. And so. this, this is another great, great casting because, uh, Joey Pantoliano had already been. Um, this shady character in so many other movies and he was already in the Sopranos and <clears throat> I don't know if Nolan did this on purpose but a lot of people have mentioned Joey Pants is the, the character it, it, that he plays I mean the the actor is you're set up to think he's untrustworthy so you're set up in the movie by having the Polaroid say don't trust him as the very right. first time you see the Polaroid but you also just don't trust that guy that right. guy just seems shady when he gives them this reveal, look, you've already killed your wife. You've already accomplished it. Here's the picture that I took. You don't, you don't know. There's, this is one of those rare movies where it's not one unreliable narrator. It's like six. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, and yeah. So something Tamla Ray's got me thinking about, I, I've always wondered about the fact that Leonard knows about his condition. And he asks, yeah. and he tells me, and that always struck me as an inconsistency in the movie because how would he know about it if he had this this condition? That would have that the condition would be subsequent to the brain damage. But I don't know. I mean, what I wonder if I was going to do research before coming on here, which I'm not, um, and I but I would see whether you also people... teach intro psych, <laughs> so maybe you would have done research for that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I wonder whether people who have actually have this condition like the famous patient hm yeah know that they have this condition uh, so from what i know because i also teach intro psych and i prep um <laughs> <laughs> you gotta tell me what that's like <laughs> <laughs> well you only prep once right? there is one patient who's alive an australian guy and uh he seems to have a vague notion that he's sick and he actually expresses real anger that the doctors are so incompetent that they never really see him. They never really treat him because, of course, he can't 
Yeah. He can't form those. So, uh, but he certainly doesn't have clarity about his, his, right? Because as you say, it happened afterwards. Moreover, HM, for instance, HM is the famous patient who, um, recently passed away a few years ago who had this, this kind of memory loss, um, lost, uh, due to surgery, lost, um, long-term memories that were far before the surgery. So he remembered being a yes, young right. man. Uh, like his last memory was like in his 20s, even though his surgery was like in his mid- middle age or something like that. There's also, Do- I mean, Dory also seems to know that she has the condition, <laughs> right. so I don't know. Well, you know, I, you know I there's mean, an Adam Sandler movie, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, 50 um, First Dates. 50 First Dates, which yeah. is exactly this theme. Yeah, and then um, and then at the end, I remember the end now that they're in love, they're married, and everything like that. And she wakes up in the morning, and there's a whole video presentation that she watches, huh. um, that says, "This is where you are. This is your life." Right. Hopefully, and, it's like s- sort of shorter than the the span of her short term memory, because then by the time she's done, she would just have to keep it's rewatching. A, it's about that much time, <laughs> and then she leaves and she forgets it all. But yeah. but here's one point I want to make about this because this is really puzzling. Because I can accept the 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 poetic license, the artistic license that he takes with having uh, to ex- explaining to everybody that he has this condition. Yeah. But um, it really doesn't make sense that he would know the story of Sammy Jenkins. Because that is presumably after, if he is Sammy Jankis, he, all of those events occur after the accident and he would never be able to encode those into long-term memory. So he would have zero knowledge that, that Sammy Jankis, um, if he was the one and the same guy, um, uh, was, yeah, murdered his wife. Right? Except well, he has his access to the psychiatric file. Yeah. Some sort, and he's constantly reading that. Yeah. Yeah. If he read so, it every 15 minutes, he would have to, I mean, he would literally have, have to read to, it yes. every 15 minutes. I think it's, 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 it's a good question what he knows and what he doesn't when he gets out of it. Because one of the things he does is he puts, remember Sammy Jankus on like his hand, which is the first thing he'll see. And that reminds him to like look at the rest of his body for tattoos or, he, to it's, it seems like that's a trigger. Remember, Sammy Jenkins is a trigger for him to sort of get situated as to who he is and what he's what he's trying to do. And there's that there's a scene where he like washes his hands and he looks. Remember, Sammy Jenkins, and then right. pulls back his shirt, and you see for the first time that he has these other tattoos. Uh, and the one and most important one when he unbuttons is made for him to see in the mirror and written in reverse, which is the central yes. goal, right? But there's and there's a lot of interesting things. One piece of research I did do was to look at his tattoos, like look at all the tattoos. And there's, you know, there's a bunch of them that are just sort of facts about what happened. But then there's also like cryptic ones, like don't trust yourself. And, uh, That's really you know. And you don't know why he would put that on. Let, let's. Uh, do you guys want to just give your best guess as to what's what's real and what's not? But when like, you close I, your eyes. It doesn't mean that like the world is, disappears, right? So, there is a real world here. Okay, so right before that, though, can we talk about the the red herrings that he? I, well, I don't know if it's red. Herring, the the hints that Nolan tosses in that are meant to confound because this matters to me. So. The one real critical fuck with you thing that he does at the end of the movie is 
he shows a scene of Sammy, the Sammy Jankis actor in what seems to be a mental ward. Yeah. And he splices for a split second Guy Pierce's character, Leonard, where Sammy Jenkins would be sitting. So yeah. that right there, presumably Nolan has done, you know, this wasn't a, an editing mistake. <laughs> this wasn't like a continuity fuck, error. Fuck. We had hey, him as a Nolan, He was just sitting in there while. Yeah. <laughs> Sit there to hold a space while. Oh, yeah. hell, it's in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Should have caught that. Right. And so this, this, I, this is the one thing that. That is that causes the most problem in my interpretation. Well, also the other one that like where he's injecting his wife, and then there are scenes yeah. where he's pinching his wife in that same exact. Yeah, um, but pose. at least those are two conflicting ones where you're like, okay, like we got to choose, we got to choose which one we're going to believe. But those are in his memory, right? So I, I buy that he's struggling with like, shit, did that actually happen? And you kind of can see, yeah, maybe, no, 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 it was just a pinch. But in the, in the objective sort of presumably objective, uh, shot that where you see Sammy Jenkins in the ward and then you see him, I don't think that's him remembering. Right. Oh, see, I, I disagree with that, but okay. uh, maybe it'll make sense when I give what I think actually happened. So what actually what 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 is I guess uncontroversial is that he um, is on this recurring quest to kill people, manipulated by Teddy, um, feeds himself false information, and is for some unspecified length of time continuing to live this life. Right? That's all uncontroversial. Yeah, and he's killed at least a, a, at least one other person. Um, besides the two people that we see him kill, he's uh, manipulated, and he's manipulated by more than one person. Like presume, like I, I, I take it that Natalie manipulated him to do. I mean, she did. I mean, yeah. she definitely did. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, and but he doesn't. She. He doesn't kill that guy. No. He, doesn't he kill. Him. He just beats him up and sends him on his way. All right. So do you want to say what you think is the reality? Oh, go, Paul. Oh, you go first, Tambor. You have. You go first. So that's something to disagree with. <laughs> okay, so this is just I, so much. I, I gotta say, make a meta comment, which is I watched your Mr. Robot discussion, your original one, and I got so upset. Like, <laughs> I took to Twitter and was writing angry. Then I emailed both of you. <laughs> I and these extravagant claims. I mean, God, time travel, David. Um, these ex- <laughs> you know, you, 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 you haven't even heard the first. Wait until you hear this. this. <laughs> Wait till you hear our last one. Oh, man. So, so because it as a reaction, I'm going to go for Operation Berenstein. <laughs> That's what the FBI operation is called. The interesting, really? right? Really? Okay. So, Tam, do you go first? Okay. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I think I have a fairly common, straightforward interpretation, which is I think Teddy is mostly telling the truth. And that Sammy Jenkins was a real person that's not Leonard, but he didn't have a wife. He was just someone that had this condition. He's blending or merging his condition with Sammy Jenkins, who probably just had a very small impact on his life. But, but that, in fact, the things that he's describing that happened to Sammy Jenkins happened to him and so he including did the, end the up, diabetic wife episode he, yeah so the you, diabetic wife so believe he so there was killed. a there was a there was a robbery the wife survived it as teddy says and yeah. then 
all that action unfolds where the wife doesn't believe that he's not faking it and she ends up killing herself. The reason why that blip happens is because that was him in the mental institution and then somehow he got out. Oh, so it was before. So this was, yeah, that was before. So he was in the mental... So he remembers himself in there after he had killed his wife before he had escaped. Serving out a sentence for like... For like just killing his wife, but but mentally incompetent. I don't think that's like he's like guilt. Like no, no, no. Not, I mean, that was he caused fault. his wife. To, like, but you believe that yeah. he caused his wife to die? Yeah, no. and then just sort of lost it. That's not a yeah. that's not a culpable claim. He he killed her. He caused her to die. Right. By, okay. Know, yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's what I think. It's not perfect, but it seems like to me if i had to guess that's the one that makes the most sense to me and that would make teddy almost a sympathetic character come on you got your revenge enjoy it while you still remember what difference does it make whether he was your guy or not it makes all the difference why you're never gonna know yes i will no you won't i will somehow you won't remember it's done i will know it'll be different well i thought so too in fact i was sure of it but you didn't that's right the real John G. I hope you find him over a year ago. He's already dead. Don't lie to me anymore. Look, Lenny. I was the cop assigned to your wife's case. I believed you. I thought you deserved a chance for revenge. I'm the one that helped you find the other guy in your bathroom that night. The guy that cracked your skull and fucked your wife. We found him. You killed him. But you didn't remember. So I helped you. Start looking again. Looking for the guy you already killed. Like, he really is. Yeah, he took a few... He, 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 he profited from Leonard, but he was also trying to help him. And there are some scenes where he really seems like he cares about Leonard. I think that's the thing that makes me most attracted to this theory. Is I don't, I, but he's Leonard, a crooked cop who's, who's manipulating... I mean... Right. He's manipulating him, but, you know, he also cares about him, I, you know, and is willing to also make a few bucks on the side, but is actually, yeah. He likes him. I, I'm with you with it. He likes him. I don't know that he, he likes him. I can't possibly yeah. care about him too much. But. I guess. Yeah, he's not doing him a big favor using him <laughs> as, this, as this, you know, amnesic hitman. hitman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to yeah. kill people over and over again by saying, look, that's that's John G. Okay, fine. Kill him. And then next, waiting 15 right. minutes and say, we'll find the guy. <laughs> right. Kind of so, mean. Well, so like what, with Natalie, I think they alternate between manipulating him and feeling some affection for him i mean natalie's that way too and pity they feel pity i'd say it's more than pity with natalie although natalie seems angry at him yes but in the later scenes not as much right in the later scenes in the timeline earlier scenes in the movie she seems like she's really helping him out with getting the information that he's looking for they have sex after she was angry with him. Okay, but there, so there's he, a scene we never talked about, by the way, where he hires this prostitute. Yeah, to to lie with him. Yeah, that's yeah. a bizarre thing. It's a bizarre scene where and pretend to be his wife, I guess, so that maybe he and would the door, like she's like she she he pays her to slam the door. And there's yeah. definitely a lot of like d- recurring door slam things that like there's something important. I couldn't figure it out, but there's something important about door slamming, and that's what he's paying her to do: slam the door. Well, I think that what he's doing is he's recreating the night of the assault. 
Right. Yeah. That's uh, wakes, yeah, on the surface. Yeah, yeah. He wakes up, feels the cold bed, um, and then is he realizes that he woke up because of a commotion in the bathroom. And that's the first thing he does, right, is he goes to the bathroom. Yes. Right. Um, he asks her to go to the bathroom and slam the door. So he wakes up and he goes to the bathroom. Here's a question on that account, um, which that I have, which is at what point does he determine that J- there is somebody named John G who raped and murdered his wife? So is that something that Joey Pants made him believe? I mean, I think there is maybe a guy that did assault his wife and maybe rape his wife. Yeah, but then raped and murdered my wife and then and well, like what starts him on the quest to because he can't self-deceive right at, at that point after his his condition it doesn't seem as if he can concoct the scheme to tattoo murdered my wife that john g raped and murdered my wife so it could be that teddy kind of had this idea yeah and, or at least you know the way teddy's describing it he was working with him and understood that this was bugging him and so actually tried to help him at first because and maybe just said i've found the guy that assaulted your wife or that raped your wife or something like that and then he changed it in his mind to murder because that would take him off the hook and maybe he's the one who removed the critical 12 pages in the file so that he would remember that that nobody had murdered his wife yeah um, what do you yeah, guys no, think? No, Tamler's analysis is close enough to mine. Yeah, that um, that you know, uh, uh, his wife was assaulted, but there was no other assailant. Assailant, maybe just the guy that uh, that he shot, and then he ends up with this memory problem. He ends up killing his wife with insulin in a psychiatric institution, where he escapes. Um, and in fact, apparently, according to some of the secondary literature on this, uh, in the DVD extras and some other stuff, he, the idea is that he has escaped from some institution. So and have any of you, have either of you read the short story that it's based on? Memento no. Mori? No. no. Yeah, neither have I. Jonathan Nolan? Yeah. Uh, one, one thing about the DVD commentaries that I did read, though, is that apparently, and this is very cool, Nolan does four different versions of it, <laughs> and just randomizes which one you get and on each of them <laughs> he gives a different explanation of the ending That's so hilarious. he's definitely at a meta level playing into this there are different versions of this reality and he insists that in his mind in order to even create the movie that there is a version that is sort of the, the nolan headcanon that yeah. that exists that and and that he says from internal internal clues you should be able to figure it out yeah um i also agree with the general interpretation there i mean there's some pieces that bug me i it bugs me that last scene where it flashes him in 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 the in but wouldn't the that fit my my uh it it would fit if, given that it that it would have happened before and that he then escapes and that he essentially has this crooked cop who, rather than turn him in, knows that he can sort of take him down to Southern California, where, you know, presumably the murder occurred in San Francisco, and um, and then use him for these nefarious purposes, all while giving him the sort of, you know, satisfaction every every few minutes of, of having accomplished something and, and using his, his ability to investigate, or at least his curiosity that would have come from being an investigator. 
Which is because otherwise his identity is completely fragmented. Like in some ways, this is like a just a quest to just re- maintain a a unified sense of self. And you get the sense that Sammy Jenkins in that institution had lost that, and so he's just his body right. at that point. And 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 in fact, even you know when he's still with his wife, he's watching TV all the time. Ah. You know, he he likes the commercials. That's all he could understand. Yeah. Anything longer, and and. While while Leonard lives kind of a full life, um, his 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 quest gives it meaning. Right, it ties yeah. together everything. Right, right. Ted, Teddy's right about that. He's absolutely. It's like you know, imagine a Sisyphus that didn't have to remember that he's been doing it forever. Right, <laughs> right. right. That every time he thinks that once I get this rock up there, it will solve the world. You know, world hunger. Yeah. Um. And so that's much less miserable a life than the Sisyphus who has to know that it's completely meaningless every single time. And so every once in a while, he gets tossed into this existential angst. And this one time at the end, we see him. Uh, the way that he's going to deal with this is going to nip it at the bud and and trick himself into killing Teddy. Right. And that's so cool is that you realize this investigation that we've been watching this whole movie is one that he just made for himself. He knew it would take him a little while to track down that license plate and to... It's akin to getting into an experience machine every 15 minutes with the goal... <laughs> Or at least every time he decides to go on a new quest, um, with with the knowledge that you're not going to remember anything from your external life. Right. Like in That's some right. in some ways, he is in to in the existential way creating meaning in life in a way that none of us can do because we're constrained by facts in a way that he is not. He's reinterpreting the facts. I mean, John G. as a generic name on his chest gives him a freedom to right. uh, an unconstrained like Jane. Jimmy Gantz, you know, yeah, it works. It works. Um, so in some ways he is free. And that last scene is one, you know, of him driving away in the convertible in the LA scene. You know, that's like a film noir, like, fuck it, I'm free of all of this shit, you know? Like, I am free to start all over again. Um, so, so he, he's especially situated to do that, but, but the self deception really got to me. And it's the second amazing. Time I, the second time I saw the movie, I started to wonder, how could I do that to myself? I, <laughs> and, and, you know, so, so although I'm not amnesic, I don't have a perfect memory. Yeah. I could imagine, for instance, writing, uh, uh, an email to myself through Google Boomerang. Yeah. Saying something to myself about don't, giving some sort of detail thing that's not true. Yeah. Set it for a year from now and then just don't think about it. Right. And my <laughs> bet is a year from now I'll get an email. I remember, oh, I was going to do some, but I won't, I won't, might not remember that. So uh, this is what I told, I, I may have mentioned this on the podcast like eight times for all I remember. Um, but, uh, when I was at UC Irvine working with Beth Loftus on false memory, I used to tell her, <clears throat> you know, the least you could do is use your ability to implant false memories for good and make me remember that I had a girlfriend in high school. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like implant some good shit into my mind so that I can actually be happy and not miserable at my nerdy, lonely high school existence. <laughs> So can you make yourself believe that you had a girlfriend in high school? I, I don't, I don't think. I think we do this in everyday life. I think we could convince ourselves that we feel a lot closer to somebody than we really do. 
it could be intimate relationships involve some degree of self-deception yeah in kind of that way Ab- absolutely and and I, there's good work on relationship research showing that you know the, both the attention and the memory that you have during the first few sort of weeks of courtship right i mean you look past a whole lot of shit you you fo- you <laughs> you extra emphasize all the good stuff at that point right when you're married in the marriage you're probably a little more accurate about like oh by that time you're reporting that you do 150 percent of the housework right so so can i I tell a personal story this is an okay place for this right so nobody will safe space no one no one's here anymore (laughs) no one's gonna well deep into this but but like about a year ago karen my 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 wife and i were talking we had sort of romantic weekend i'm saying i wish we had a third kid And because I love having my two kids, but they're getting, they're leaving the house. And she's, she's said, like, you don't remember Joe. <laughs> and she's, that's she said, you do have a third kid. And I'm like, wow. And that was, so that's a, that's a good anecdote. No, not that good. She said, you know, when we had two kids and you were young, you were miserable. Yeah. And I was shocked. Yeah. And, and then I realized as we're talking that basically we have all of these pictures on the wall going up, up to the, up to the second floor of these happy times. And I look at them for like 20 minutes a day. And that's all I remember of my kid's childhood, actually. We're, yeah. we're reading, we're, we're on the beach, we're having a good time. We only talk about the good times. Yeah. And I've managed to, to some extent, I think intentionally inculcate myself with positive memories of their early development. Right. So this is, yeah. I mean, this is why this movie is interesting. I mean, there's a puzzle yeah. here, an intellectual little puzzle to unravel, but it, it you know, but, it, but if it weren't for the fact that it's saying something, really so deep about us and what we do it wouldn't last right it would be like a 30 right. 30 minute puzzle game and i think you're right and actually i have a different anecdote like um that's kind of the opposite of yours a, a few years ago when my grandfather uh died um you know he was 90 but he 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 was a real big influence in my life and i was really really torn up and i i didn't want that experience and i remember i was balling i was just completely balling and I took a selfie of my face covered in tears with a miserable expression because I didn't want to forget how sad I yeah. was. Yeah. Um, yeah. You should have tattooed That's... it on your chest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wouldn't have freaked anybody out. Um, there is a no. moment of self-deception I think I caught, and I want to know what you guys think. It's when Teddy tells uh, Leonard not to trust Natalie. Mm-hmm. He writes on the photo don't trust natalie in script in cursive every huh. other time he writes in capital letters and he tells himself that he relies on recognizing his own handwriting yeah. in this one he writes in script and then of course Crosses we, it we out. see it crossed yeah. out the first time we yeah. see it but then he but we also see him cross it out we, he crosses him out because he sees teddy's photo that says don't believe his lies which is just yeah. but he wouldn't remember that that yeah. that's something that teddy had told him Right. So it was important for him to write it in a script that's not his own. Right. That's nice. That's clever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a scene where Natalie is saying, I know you have this memory problem. I'm going to destroy your life. I'm revealing all these things. And he's frantically looking for a pen. Yeah. Can I borrow a pen? Do you have a marker or something? I could write this down. Another movie. We see her later come in and hide all the pens. 
This yes, is, that's right. Uh, that's right. You is, see her hide all the pens. You takes, don't know why. She yes. takes them all in her purse. I mean, I get into uh, arguments with my wife all the time where we completely have two completely di- uh, different versions about what happened like an hour ago. Yeah. Like in And we always say, I wish I could record this or I wish, you know, we should just set up a recording or something like that. But neither of us want to do it because we want, and this is like you said, Dave, like all these things that smaller and you know, relatively different to different degrees sort of mirror the kinds of experiences that we have. What What's really interesting about it is, n- remember our totalitarian ego episode, yeah. Dave? Like what, what this is making so vivid is how we want our memory to tell like a story and a good story, but a cohesive coherent story a coherent and 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 this will maybe get us talking a bit about personal identity this the theme in nolan which is that as you say a coherent story that has sort of beginning middle end purpose to it right not necessarily rosy eyed not like not necessarily all positive right no not at all but it has to make sense it can't be fragmented and this is the ultimate condition that makes you fragmented like he wakes up and he thinks his wife's alive at first and then he so he has to learn that she dies like every time he he wakes up from his i think tam where you've you've come across a fairly elegant method for determining what self-deception or at least what's a desire for coherence versus a desire for objective truth which is would you want to see the videotape so suppose you say, yeah. I do a hundred and f- I do, you know, 80% of the dishwashing. And then somebody says, okay, we have a camera installed. Do you want to hear, see the data? And I wonder for many things, people say, no, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. <it."> right. <laughs> Given the private choice right. where, where, you know, you say, my wife said the most terrible thing to me. And then I say, well, apparently, you know, she said it, but it was an elevator's video. Do you want to hear it? No. Yeah. I want it. She said the most terrible thing to me. And, right. And, and I think many of our memories, are like that. I've been so disappointed sometimes in like, particularly I, there's been emails where I've been shocked at how rude people have been to me on email. <laughs> and then I go back and I'm staring at the email and I don't quite see why I got so upset right, at the time. Right. And for right. me, the feeling is always disappointment and shame. <laughs> it and, makes and no re- sense. Regret I went back to the truth. Yeah. No, I, 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 I have that experience all the I time. I have a multiple universe theory, which is the email just got changed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just more, it's more parsimonious. Came from the, uh, Berenstein. That, 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 that seems like a universe. theory that Jonathan Schooler would come up with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks, David. <laughs> By the way, this is why I always videotape sex. No. Good to know, so, ladies. But this is, uh, this is, I think, one of the answers to why, if you look at the false memory literature and the debates about people who would go, you know, these were the ones that Elizabeth Loftus was so involved in, people would go to therapy and they'd be convinced their parents satanically, ritually abused them. And this, on the face of it, goes, is against everything that social psychologists want which is or have claimed which is that we desire to know good things about ourselves because why would you want to know like out of the blue you didn't used to believe that you were raped and abused by satanic ritual parents but now you're accepting this and the reason is because it provides some sort of explanation for your current misery right yeah this is so it's the desire for coherence that it gives you and that motivates you to want to believe those things. Cause I think that you really need to want to believe it or else you would really, uh, 
really fight against that knowledge. If it were, and that's why the revenge at angle is so perfect for Leonard's purposes. It's such a simple and familiar story, right? It's easy, even for someone like him to to grasp he couldn't tell a complicated story to himself because he doesn't have time to remember it and you'll notice that his revenge even though he says in this objective way that it's because my wife deserves vengeance when he actually talks specifically about getting john g it's because he ruined my life and so there is a a way in which believing that this happened um is giving the, the vengeance is motivated by an attempt to make sense of why he is currently suffering, right? Uh, to, to get back at that. It's not really about his wife, right? He's conveniently forgotten that he was the murderer of his wife. Well, even yeah. in that scene that you quoted, and I actually wrote it down. So she, he says, my wife deserves vengeance. Doesn't make a difference whether I know about it. Just because there, there are things I don't remember doesn't make my actions meaningless. The world doesn't just disappear when you close your eyes, does it? So he starts out saying it sounds like very deontological sort of retributivist, just like this needs to happen. And but then it becomes more about the world actually having to have meaning and exist beyond just his perception of it. Yeah, I agree. I want to talk a little bit about what this condition is. So the people who really have this condition seem to be suffering in a way that is, you know, the retrograde amnesia where you just forget all all of your, you know, autobiographical details, like you don't remember who you are. It doesn't seem to threaten identity in the same way. I mean, you still know kind of who you are. You have a sense of continuity. You just don't remember all these details. And I'm sure it's disorienting and challenging in identity in some ways, but not in the same way as constantly waking up and wondering what's like, where am I? Where am I? Like the other day I had been traveling so much. I woke up in my parents' house and, and that it was one of the longest lasting disorienting moment. You know, I think it happens to everybody. You wake up, you're like, where am I? Where am I? What bed is this? Like, is this a hotel room? Is this a, right. But it lasted. David, when it, when it, when it happened, did you savor it? Uh, no, it was, <laughs> it was dreadful. It was oh, okay. a, it was a dreadful moment where I was like, no, usually the answer comes more quickly. Usually yeah. it's like there's a cue and, oh, okay, I'm here. And it actually lasted longer and it was dreadful until, until it was resolved. And, and I think that the suffering that those people experience and, and the little YouTube clips I've seen of people with this condition, it seems, it seems horrible, but I don't know whether that's because I know that they do this every 15 minutes or because, because on the other hand, they're, they're living in the moment in the most Buddhist of ways. They're living in the moment. But I don't think they are. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Like you get the sense, at least in this, that it's a very stressful condition, right? Like it's, they're very anxious because you're in that constant state of being disoriented. Yeah. I'm going to put a link to the video of this guy I showed in my intro site class where he, he really is agitated. Um, The only person that seems to call him is his wife um, when she visits. But otherwise, when he's interviewed, he's just railing against these physicians who are so incompetent. They haven't been able to figure out what's wrong with him. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Buddhist state of, you know, being without a self is fine. If, if you could get, if you know you actually have a self and you could return to it. Yeah. It's, it's probably, <laughs> right. it, it's probably like being high, which is being high is great fun unless you believe this was permanent. Right. 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 In which case, it'd be really deeply terrifying. Then right. it turns into a bad trip. 
then and that's probably the definition of a bad trip is losing the realization that within a couple of hours you'll be back to where you started from and probably loss of memory is that way that's why i asked about savoring it because i've had the experience that david's talking about a couple of times and i've actually sort of said oh and i try to hold on to it for a little bit yeah like not like not remembering something yeah, no, I see what you, I see what you mean. This one just went on a little too long. This one was yeah, like that. This one was while, like, yeah. is when is this trip going to end? Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys make of his last lines? This is like the last thing we see him say. And it's yeah. right after he has tricked himself into going after Teddy. Outside my own mind, I have to believe that my actions still have meaning, even if I can't remember them. I have to believe that when my eyes are closed, the world's still there. Do I believe the world's still there? Is it still out there? Yeah. We all need mirrors to remind ourselves who we are. I'm no different. I mean, I don't know. It seems like pretty on the nose in terms of what the primary motivation is in the sense of, you know, like what, what what's the purpose of this deception? Yeah, I mean, he's hacked his way into trying to have a meaningful... I mean... My problem is that, that that those are the sort of thoughts that seem way too coherent for somebody with this disorder, right? Like, yeah. It, like, is he having those every 15 minutes? <laughs> and, um, and it's really, it's, it's good metaphysics. Yeah. I mean, he gets everything right. You know, he gets, he's a realist and objective world, but he realizes that information about the self is, is acquired through, you know, it's, 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 it's a real mature philosophy. Right. He's, he's, but, but I like what, you know, Paul, you're alluding to. This is the one case of pure, pure self deception pre-commitment hacking you are you are constructing your identity with the freedom that very very few people have topping the extended mind yeah uh, that's something i never thought of but that's really really good yeah um now what i one of the things i was wondering is is he acquiring guilt if the implicit learning is really happening, like, so I think if you accrue all of the things that you've done in the past yeah. that you're not proud of, like, I have this sort of sinking feeling in my stomach that I'm a horrible person. And I wonder if he has that. That's a good question. Like, after certain dreams, you feel this queasiness, like, did I really do something very wrong? Oh, yeah. If you ever dreamed that, like, you murdered somebody yeah. and you wake up, you're so relieved. I, have not dreamed, like I haven't dreamed that I murdered somebody. Oh, no, I, I have. Really? But sometimes I get emails from people, and if the subject line is vague, I say, oh, my God, maybe there's something horrible and I got <laughs> caught. And even though I can't think of anything in particular, but I'm sure there's something like that. <laughs> so basically, I, I live in that constant state. Of- <laughs> no, I mean, like a lot of the, you know, so-called life hack things, like just the, the my freedom thing. And I love that, yeah. you know, this thing that gets me off the Internet like I, I do it all the time now. Like I'm addicted to it. So my favorite example of of this sort of life hack was from uh, Christina Starmans, who works in my lab. You guys know who should be on the podcast one day. But she once told me this this newspaper article about a guy who hired somebody to stand next to him and slap him when everyone on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> <That's great. laughs> 
And as she pointed out, if they fell in love and got married, it would be like a perfect romantic comedy. <laughs> that is a great but idea. Imagine, it's not enough Denver. to block you from it. There right. should be some additional just humiliation. Right. Uh, you hire yeah. an undergraduate to stand next to you for a bucket of water, and if you and after you go on Facebook, they just pour it on your head. Uh, undergraduates slap me all the time, anyway. I just don't know <laughs> why. I've forgotten yes. what the what am I being conditioned for here? <laughs> Picking cards from the risky deck. But this is also where his uh, uh, Leonard's ability to life hack is severely constrained by <laughs> by whatever <laughs> short term goal he has. Really, a whole interpretation of Nolan's films we've come down to <laughs> Leonard. Bad life hacker. <laughs> I know he's a kind of a genius life hacker, though. Given, given, given his problems, given his given the, cir- given his, the circumstances, yes. yeah. We've talked, Paul, about um, uh, drugs that that caused damages to your memory. So ambient experiences, yep. right? Um, and so, so one question is: Would you <laughs> would you fuck with your memory on purpose as a life hack like this? So the way that I always think about it is guilt. So that's why I asked the question about guilt. So you know that you're going to do something that you're probably going to feel really shitty about. Do you pop like a propran, like a, you know, these, these drugs that actually influence your, your ability to encode new memories that they give often to, to people who have had. This is what Job did on Arrested Development. You know, just take roofies. The forget me now. Yeah. <laughs> um so so that's a great question that speaks to sort of you know hedonic theories of morality yeah. the, the the freshman skeptic says nobody's really good yeah we just don't do bad things because we know we'll feel bad right and we don't want to feel bad abraham lincoln had this view there, there's you know hobbes had this view hobbes hobbes once helping somebody and somebody said hobbes you're not supposed to help people and hobbes said i'm being purely selfish right if i didn't right. help might feel bad but your pill is an empirical test of that which is if the pill took away shame and guilt afterwards yeah then presumably we do a lot more terrible things i mean that's why we drink alcohol sometimes uh i don't drink yeah. to forget no wait hold on but i we i sometimes Drink to uninhibit myself. Right. So if I know that I might, if I'm inclined to do something that, that might have a second order desire not to do, I know that alcohol might turn off the second order desire and keep yes. me with that first order desire. I mean, this is Jekyll. But and do you I- have to have a third order desire to do it? <laughs> because, like, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. <laughs> you have a complicated psychology. No, yeah. So I, I mean, you do. So- you have to realize that that third order desire is what makes me a bad person. It's only that Which one. Which one? Imagine that you kind of want to do something that you know would be impulsive and bad. Yeah. Right. So, but you realize that if you drink enough, your second order desire to not do it will actually encourage you to do it. So Paul asked, do you have to have a third order desire to do, to go about doing these things? And I, I said, you know, I think so. And I think that's the part that I should be evaluated on. The fact that I am willing to turn off my second order desire to go to go with my impulses i mean this is the classic jekyll and hyde yeah i mean this is frankfurt's point is that that's the thing you're making a decision about what your true self wants to do there and you're just not trusting that you'll be able to do it unless you hack yourself in the certain way i have a question about this idea of conditioning which is a recurring thing in the movie so 
the difference between him and Sammy Jenkins, he tells himself, is that Sammy Jenkins couldn't condition himself and didn't make use of his conditioning, whereas he does. I guess maybe like the remember Sammy Jenkins is one form of conditioning where he where he looks at himself. There's also a couple of interesting scenes like when he goes to the motel and I don't remember where this is in the timeline, but I think it's later. He pushes, he pushes it when it, it's yeah. supposed to be pulled, when it's oh, supposed to be yeah. pulled, you know. Yeah. yeah. And you I wonder like is he shouldn't he know that by yeah now? because in, in have, the storyline yeah. he has already been to that hotel many many multiple times, times. Yeah. yeah so i think he is actually um mistaken about his ability to use conditioning oh good good observation yeah but then does it does it make sense that he's able to do what he can do without well so having he, that ability I think this is he's over reliant on his intuition. What you know, he keeps saying, you know, I need to see somebody face to face. You know, I can tell these things. Yeah. He ha- he sh- he demonstrates no ability to distinguish friend from foe based on previous interactions. Right. Um, right. Like so the he, hotel manager, the and imagine Natalie. like the most right when we talk about uh, conditioning priming and this sort of like fear conditioning or I- emotional conditioning you're pairing negative stimuli with something else that's supposedly what's intact um natalie is yelling at him that he's an idiot and that his wife was a c-word who deserved to get raped and whatever and she comes back shortly afterwards and all he does is feel sorry like that's you know it's not a conditioning experiment but that's the sort of thing that he believes he's able to do look someone in the eye and and rely on his intuition so i think he's just wrong about that i think that makes sense yeah um, um, speaking of Natalie, what do you make of her character and her role in the film, but also just the character? So she uses him as an instrument to get rid of her drug dealing boyfriend? Or no, 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 no. Like, so no, no, I, I think at least the way we're meant to understand it on the surface is he kills her drunk deal, drug dealing boyfriend right. who she actually loved, or at least it's possible that she right. actually loved and then shows up in his suit and his car. And and the only reason he's going to Natalie is because he finds in his suit the coaster that yeah. says drop by afterwards, and he thinks that's his coat. So he oh, just goes right. to the bar and and meets her, and she's, of course, very confused, does that little test of spitting yeah. into the drink to figure out if he's faking his condition, and then uses him after that for getting rid of this other drug dealing partner who's threatening her because he thinks she has the money here's my take on natalie one of the reasons i love this film is because it is a noir film in the noir genre she's a femme fatale i believe uh uh teddy when he says look at you she took one look at your suit in your car and she sized you up as somebody that she can use now if she really loved her boyfriend that uh that leonard just killed she would be much more distressed at the thought of seeing him pull up in his car in his suit so i think that she is a classic sort of amoral femme fatale yeah. who's out to use whomever she can and she realizes this guy probably killed her boyfriend and now she's she's heard about this 
what I think is a lovely so little... So she thinks she's playing her boyfriend, too, and this is almost like yeah. a good thing for her that that he did that. Yeah, because the boyfriend the only... is also just a douchebag. I mean, like when you... But there's that one scene where he's in the bed and he gets up to go write something down, and she, like, pats the bed, and it does seem like she's genuinely sorrowful, at she least about something. Like him. She might actually like him. But that's very much in the tradition of these femme fatale movies, right? It, right. it almost doesn't matter for these female characters. Whether they do or... Because in the yeah. end, they're going to do what they're going to do for themselves to advance their own interests. Like Double Indemnity, which this movie has a lot of similarities to, you know, noir-wise, right? right? I mean, he's an insurance guy, verifier right. or whatever. That's just the same right. uh, that's job. Right. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Like maybe we should wrap up, but like, can we really quickly talk about identity in all of Nolan's films? Yeah, I, is there coherence so, here? Does Inception have identity yeah. themes? I'll admit to only having I've, watched that it, movie. It's the twice. same plot essentially, which is a guy deluding himself through various means into into believing a story that makes more sense than what actually happened i mean i think you know my i always thought inception spoiler alert the only real thing that made sense was that the whole thing was his confabulation because he can't and i don't remember the details of what exactly but there's something about what happened with his wife that he can't deal with and so has come up with this incredibly convoluted way of trying to justify it memento is essentially that same story and so in some way is the prestige where this character uh the christian bale character behaves horribly to his wife about half the time and then you know and then i'm not sure how much you want to spoil about this even in the batman movie remember when uh well i was gonna say batman is all about a painful moment disjointing an identity like yeah, that and is, and there's, there's, there's Two Face, yeah, there's, which is yeah. <laughs> which is the most obvious call. <laughs> Christopher Nolan's getting increasingly frustrated as the audience not understanding his point. <laughs> exactly, and he's making them simpler and simpler. <laughs> Do you remember when Albert burns the note? I don't remember which one this is in, but Albert burns the note that says that she actually that that his girlfriend, the Maggie Gyllenhaal yeah, character, actually yeah, yeah. loved the Two-Face character, yeah, and he burns it because he wants Batman to believe that he that they really loved each other and that they were going to go away. I think that was in The Dark Knight. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing, except this time Albert's doing it rather than the person himself doing it. It's the same thing of, I have to give you a story you can live with. So it's a narrative theory of identity. Basically, that's what yeah. tying together his, his, uh, his movies. It's, it's a coherent story that makes a life a life. So he's he clearly seems to be a realist, and it's these are all attempts at escaping the constraints of of what real life has given us with regards to our identity, the tragedies, the actual fact that you yep. can't duplicate yourself and do a magic trick. All the, these are all some serious attempts. I sometimes explicit, sometimes expl- implicit at finding ways around dealing with reality in order to preserve the identity that you want, right? Because you could imagine, you know, a different kind of take on this where you just decide that reality is what you create 
but he's not i never get the sense that that's what he's saying he's saying no. like no you will you will convince yourself that this is what reality is what what yes but reality doesn't change and reality might just be that things don't make sense and that we do unforgivable things that don't that we can't reconcile with the fact that we feel like we're actually good people and so we will turn reality into what we need it to be but there is a reality yeah yeah and, and actually both of the dueling ma magicians in the in the prestige wanted to be good people none of them were neither was a cartoon villain right yeah and the villain they, they were ambitious they were you know the villainous act of hugh jackman in that movie is made the most salient by the and again just turn this off if you're not if you don't but the villainous act of hugh jackman is on himself every time yes every yes. time he is causing yes. you know the, the yes. description of drowning yeah and this by the way anybody who wants to defend a star trek transporter yeah. should see the prestige <laughs> as a film proof of why you should never go that the transporter is murder yes and well it's suicide that may well right? be chris nolan's ultimate message <laughs> <laughs> beware of technology beware of the <laughs> no just like don't get into a fucking transporter because it's like this mass genocide that's been perpetuated exactly. yeah yeah, yeah. Yes. i remember you said that and and while some people might say it as kind of a joke like a funny thing you seem i, I don't know if i've ever seen you more kind of passionate well paul about. and i are on the same page you were yes. you yeah. were not um it almost makes Star Trek unwatchable for me because, you know, Kirk's going to go in a transporter. Oh, no. I know. He's dead. But I was just dead. getting attached dead. to him, and now he's dead. dead. Now they have another character. Yeah. I wonder if it's the same actor. You know, look, I, I, I can see since you guys are from the A universe, like, to me, I've already jumped universes. So, like, <laughs> so that was fine. That worked out fine, the at nice, least for me. But, but the one thing about Star Trek transporters is that it's zero-sum genocide. I mean, it's... it's uh. <laughs> Yes. 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 Right. There's there, always there are never else. fewer Jews after the Holocaust. There's always the same amount. Right. It is that much. <laughs> there's, there's some right. saving grace to that. That's not a that's not a genocide that Hitler would have that would have appealed you to Hitler. Take some right? people and you yeah. march them through the transporter and you beam them like a foot away. <laughs> cackling how you're exterminating a whole race and then they're just back <laughs> like, doing what they, they were doing that. before in fact exactly. it's not even zero sum like there are two rikers you know like there's actually more like there's more like as a utilitarian you might imagine that this is actually giving a net benefit did you see nolan's latest movie it seemed like a slog so i didn't see it which one uh, which one the, whatever the most recent one i forget like the the name of it was we haven't. It hasn't come movie? up once in this whole thing, in this whole conversation. Oh. What was the most with Matthew McConaughey and? Oh my God, Interstellar! Interstellar! Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Oh, it was about the redeeming power of love. It was. It could have been great if it weren't cheesy about love. Well, because he doesn't. Be great yeah. if it was much better. <laughs> <laughs> God, no. no, you're right. We haven't we haven't mentioned it, yeah. and there's a reason for that. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Even, it, it, well, for me, it was that I didn't see it. It didn't even come up. Um, there is um, again too much money in, yep. involved, and it's in some ways there. In some ways, there are some of the most emotional scenes in a Nolan movie. Actually, if you want a movie where you care about the characters, this is one. 
It's just that he is. It's almost as if someone told him, you know, we don't care enough about characters in your movies. And he was like, this movie is going to be all about your heartstrings and I'm going to have a little girl and her dad is yeah. going to go away. Right. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my very strained analogy for Nolan was, is this somebody took Chekhov, this genius at writing short stories and demanded, you know, gave him an enormous amount of money to write a really long sprawling novel. It's not, it's not what he's good at. Yep. That's exactly no, why no, that was my, a lot of why my analogy for Borges was for Borges. Yes. He would write fake reviews of novels. Where and he said, "Why would I have to write an entire novel when I can summarize, the, you know, the yes. novel?" And and that's exactly what he was good at. And Borges also a good analogy, also because I have the same sort of feeling for him, which is ton of respect and admiration for the craft of what he's doing and for the ideas that he's bringing up. Not a yes. lot of connection to his character for the library for forgeries yeah. for the, the yeah. cleverness the ideas exactly. never no, no, not oh he's such a Borge character exactly what does that mean he stares into a candle <laughs> but, and knife fights I, I actually have a movie recommendation this is yeah you know, while we're just talking uh uh for tamler um we saw this a couple of days ago the whole family wild tales Oh God! It's, yeah. it's, we it's love. Did, have I you love seen it? it? Yeah, oh, yeah. What is it? I thought it was seen wonderful. it a couple it's times. Seven Tales of Revenge oh, by an Argentinian writer director who who I forget, but it's produced by a Maldivar. Uh, and and they're all about revenge. And some of them are just they're they're uneven, but some are screamingly funny. The, the I think yeah. that last one is almost a little bit moving. It's like really cool, yes. Dave. Yes, and it's always fun to watch. And I like the one the the one of the guy who gets the traffic citation. Yes, and it's a, are they appropriate for like younger? Could, could I? Yeah, watch? no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. I absolutely showed Eliza. Not. I showed Eliza them. What? <laughs> no, David. Uh, no. Okay. Yes. Can, can we talk <laughs> and maybe wrap up? Because like, I'm really curious that picture that Joey pants uh, that sorry that Leonard that um. Teddy shows Leonard of him happy. Yep. Yeah. That is genuine happiness in that picture. Yes. Right. He's yes. bloody and he's pointing to his chest. Yes. Do you think that he gets that every time? Do, like, is there a self-deception going on where he doesn't tattoo his own chest? Because we didn't talk about that last oh, scene yeah. where he, there is a tattoo. Where he's with on his, his wife. He's with his wife. And, and, and it says, yeah. I've done it. On his chest. Yeah. Which yeah. is, I don't know, like, that doesn't fit into any story. I don't know I why that's there. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, good question. It seems unfair, in fact, to include, because um, his flight of fancy of being with his wife as if nothing had happened should not include a tattooed body with uh, somebody raped and murdered my wife. Yeah. yeah. You know uh, what this movie needs? A sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Memento 2. This yeah. time is for and, real, and, and it needs to be better than the Finding Dory sequel because <laughs> that was be, not good. Can it be sponsored that, by Mementos, the Fresh Maker? <laughs> <laughs> I saw Finding Dory because Eliza. Stop bringing that up. It's just devaluing no one's. We're not going to have a special episode for Finding Dory. <laughs> it's no, it's not good, and people like it. And it's like at this point, Pixar has come to like that soft bigotry of low expectations, where people are just happy that it doesn't suck yeah he's no fellini yeah you know pixar so. <laughs> no i don't know pixar was great i mean he had a great run man one of one of the good things that um 
comes from having my kids be older than your kids is I don't have to watch shitty kid movies anymore. Oh, no, true. but I don't have like that's the thing. That's why you show your kid Wild Tales. <laughs> that, that, well, I can't show. Them, okay. Well, my kids watch Wild Tales now, but yeah. but no. Eliza's twelve. She can see anything at this point. You know what? The other difference is, Paul, is that you have two boys. And what we realize is there are, there are uh, real gender differences such that that our daughters aren't going to like get in fights as much as the, <laughs> the boys would if they watched these violent movies. They can just handle stuff, I think, better. <laughs> yeah. you know? No, it's true. I would watch these like these martial arts movies with my kids. And like when they were young, they would jump up and start punching and kicking right. and screaming yeah. with it. Right. Like mirror neurons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no such thing as mirror neurons. But if there were, but that would explain were, what was right. going on. Right. That, and that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, I think that is a big difference. But I still and, I still wanted to know whether you guys thought, just a quick answer, does, does uh, uh, Leonard feel happiness at the end of every... I mean, we, he doesn't seem to with, uh, Teddy, with the guy, Teddy. Jimmy Grants, who he kills, yeah. right? Right. And will he re- did he realize that Teddy is also John G? When he did it, yes. So does yeah. he think that he killed his wife's murderer when he killed Teddy? But he has this moment of uncertainty where he says, my wife didn't have diabetes. Yeah. But like before saying that, he has a little flicker. You know, yeah. like, I watch that over again. Like, he says, it, he he has a little flicker, and then he goes, no. You know, like, right. my wife didn't have diabetes. So he should be happy at the end of... Kill- and that's something he should have remembered, right? Like, you would know if yeah, your wife right, had diabetes. Right. That would have happened before the attack. Right. So that's Okay, right. now you just reminded me, does that boyfriend, Jimmy Gantz, does he really say Sammy when he's getting drunk? He does. Yes, he does. Because I heard... I heard when, he's a Sammy. He says so. Uh, so when Leonard he's getting is dragged dragging down the him stairs. down to the basement. Yeah, yeah. Um, and right before he passes out, he says he whispers Sam. And Sammy. He, yeah. And then Leonard is like Sammy. Why did he say Sammy? How did he know about Sammy? I've never told him about Sammy. Right. But I thought that was actually he must have just been saying something else like. Huh. No, no, no. He says Sammy, and that's a good question. We didn't talk about it, but why he does. I yeah. mean, that's certainly fodder for the he is Sammy, because he never right. calls him Leonard. Right. So that's the one thing that he never does. I think, you know, it, the theory that I subscribe to would have it that he tells everybody about Sammy Jenkins, and so, like, he mm-hmm. told the, yeah. this guy Jimmy right, about right. it, too. I love thinking of this world in which everybody knows about this guy, uh, like, who has enterograde amnesia, who's, like, just randomly roaming, and so they're like, oh, yeah, you're that guy. You're that guy. Yeah. They, haven't no- they haven't noticed that he just leaves a trail of bodies wherever he goes. <laughs> okay, well, I have to go. Um, Great discussion, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on again. Thank Thank you you for coming, Paul. Uh, As always. As always, this was great. And we'll have you on soon to talk about Finding Dory. Wait. And and the Prestige and And uh, your book. Is it called Against Empathy? It is called Against Empathy. The Case for Rational Compassion. And what did the cover end up being? Um, An ice cube with a heart inside it. Oh, that's right. That's right. God. Oh, Mr. Freeze. You can watch the Batman. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's what happens when you don't have empathy, Paul. You become <laughs> Mr. Great. Freeze.